is up, you beautiful people. Welcome back to the Built on Bitcoin podcast, where we cover everything going on in the Stacks ecosystem. And today I have Mr. Kyle Ellicott on the show. Kyle is a partner at Stacks Ventures. He's also a partner at Bitcoin Odyssey, which is a collaboration between Stacks Ventures and OKCoin, which has been a super good partner to Stacks pretty much since the jump. And we cover a ton. We talk about his big, extensive background. You'll, you'll hear more about that in his LinkedIn profile in the episode. We talk about what he loves about technology, his history as a public speaker, because if you don't know, he pretty much hosts all the public-facing things that Stacks does, whether it's Twitter spaces or emceeing Bitcoin Unleashed. Uh, Kyle is one of the main core guys that's, that's running on those things. So talk about his public speaking background, how he got into it and some of his highlights through his public speaking career, and a ton more. What does a VC do? Ton of topics. So super interesting. Kyle is a fantastic guy. So before we jump in, though, let me give a quick shout out to my sponsor, the Stacks Foundation. And this this little read, I want to target it to the early developers that, you know, we're in a build market right now, and maybe you're on the fence You've been here long enough to, you saw the rise. You, you stacked some stacks and got Bitcoin. You came for the launch of City Coins and saw how that has gone up and down. Alex launched, Arbidico launched, NeoSwap. There's tons of stuff bubbling around the corners now. And you're like, man, this would be so cool to get more involved in. Like, how do I get started? And there's tons of resources popping up now for Clarity devs. There's docs being built out. There's a great site, start.stacks.org which takes you from like beginner to further. But if you're ready to get serious, the Clarity Universe Clarity Camp is one of the best places to go. If you want to be in a curriculum that's structured with people like you that are learning and it can help you funnel into maybe getting a grant to build something um, and to put you at the top of that heap because people will know that you know Clarity. So the cohort two just graduated, cohort three just started on July 11th. And so at the end of August, cohort four will be launching. So if you want to get on the waitlist now, go to clarity-lang.org slash universe. That's clarity-lang.org slash universe. Link is in the description. But let's jump into this episode with the fantastic Mr. Kyle Ellicott. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. Mr. Kyle Ellicott, how you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well. Jake, how you doing, man? I am fantastic. I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Uh, obviously, I mean, if you're in Stacks, you know Kyle for a bunch of reasons. He's MC of pretty much everything public facing that goes on in Stacks, doing the weekly Twitter spaces, MCing Bitcoin Unleashed, but also does some investing on the side, I guess. There's, there's a bunch going on. So we got a lot to talk about. Uh, so I want to, I want yeah, I want to get to know you, get to people to learn about your background. But I'm curious as a first question, because I looked through your LinkedIn, there's a lot of things on there. There's a lot of things on there. And when you, when someone asks what you do, like you're on a plane and you sit next to someone and they say, what do you do? How do you respond to that question? I, I tell them to call you. 
Um, <laughs> no, all jokes aside, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I think uh, the easiest answer I typically give is, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and an investor. And if they go a little deeper on the entrepreneur side, I say, hey, I'm founder, I'm an operator, and an investor. Perfect. And um, yeah, like I mentioned briefly, and it's funny, I never used LinkedIn until I got into the tech space because it's it's kind of a higher brow network. So when you work at a grocery store, you're not, you're not, there's no, there's no reason to be on LinkedIn. And yours is long. Your your experience page is intense. And so I'm curious for people who don't know some of your history, we don't have to go back to the Comp USA days when you were customer service, your first entry. But wow. But what is what is some of your background that kind of led you here as far back as you as you think is relevant? All right. So the, I've never had that pulled out in any interview. So because you brought it up, I will go into that story because it plays a big role in this whole journey. Uh, that really is the absolute first time that's ever come up. <laughs> uh, so when I first got into tech, I was very young, got into first building web pages and then wanting to understand how computers worked and started taking them apart, putting them together, you know, essentially breaking and hoping to re-put them back together. Uh, and, and during that time, that's kind of actually how I started my very first business was helping to build PCs in that day for people around my neighborhood to then my town to then uh, the district and started doing that all over uh, as well. I got the job at CompUSA because I wanted to learn more about technology. I also probably needed a job at that point in my life and also just wanted to get immersed so heavily in everything technology, whether it was from the ordering side with a retailer to uh, getting a chance to get hands-on with the latest and greatest technology before anybody else. That was part of our training uh, as the old days of CompUSA and technical retail to then learning how to build and getting all these new parts and things. And it just kind of began my a uh, big, huge technical journey and that long LinkedIn page. And uh, when I think about my career and all those different pieces of experience, that's very similar of how those all came about is I always wanted to learn more. I wanted to get more hands-on. I wanted to get more engaged, closer to the actual technology or the actual product that was being built and not just be so surface level. Uh, and so that's how it all began at CompUSA very old school shout out to uh, that company. But uh, yeah, that's how it began. And everything else from there was just a progression of learning more and more and more and more in terms of um, technology to then getting more specific to technology and then trying out different roles. So looking at um, how products were being built or the strategy for a product to then being a head of product uh, at a large corporation to then getting into big data, artificial intelligence, to then the internet of things, smart cities, to eventually blockchain and leading into this whole world that we now refer to as Web3. Uh, looking at it from all three of those, what do you do uh, type answers as a founder, as an operator, and then as an investor. So helping companies that were already established, jumping in as an operator to either um, help them raise capital or maybe grow and scale in new markets or expand their product line to then founding or being a co-founder to many projects as well um, from the ground up, uh, whether that be a DAP, decentralized application to um, anything in like fan engagement or uh, social or other areas as well, all the way through 
to then being an investor and actually having the opportunity to invest uh, at all stages. So whether that's layer zero, so real core infrastructure, all the way up through layer ones and protocols to scaling solutions through and through um, to dApps as well. And that's also where I got into research uh, and doing deep dive analysis at this whole industry because it is it was so new, it was so fast growing or is still very fast growing. And so I just wanted to learn more. Cool. Yeah. Mar- marked by curiosity. I love it. Um, entrepreneurship has become pretty, it's almost cliche and played out now. Everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Can you place me on when, when you said you started your first business, what time roughly was that? What year? Oh, let's not throw the year out there just to fully date myself, but I'll say that my very first company was around 14, 15 years old is when I first started my first business. Uh, and then that would turn into two or three more before uh, the acceleration began. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Um, very cool. I'm curious, do you classify yourself more as an extrovert or an introvert? Ooh, I, both an introverted and extroverted introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely an extrovert. I love, you know, working with people, being in social situations. I thrive on that energy heavily. I love to engage, love to meet people. As you called out, I, I host and also MC many events and conferences and have had the luxury to speak at a lot of those around the world as well. But definitely an introvert as, you know, that energy goes quickly. And sometimes I just want to you know, sit in a corner, uh, open up a book, learn about everything I can, you know, enter a new world or, you know, study a new area of technology or industry or something that I want to learn. So a little bit of both. Okay. I'm curious about it because public speaking is one of those things that universally people hate. Like there's like these 1% of extroverts that just like, are they, they have the gift. They love it. It's their thing. They feel at home on the stage. But most of us, even doing this podcast, like it's still, there's some tinge of anxiety whenever I do this and it used to be way worse. So it's like exposure therapy in some sense. And I do want to ask you if you have any tips for public speaking, but before I get there, I'm curious along your journey, especially in this public, public speaking domain. And I saw you, you were a TED speaker too, which people don't know. Pretty interesting. Mm. But along this journey, is there a single moment where you were the most scared and you overcame it and you're the most proud of, of doing that thing? What, what was that moment? So I'll give you two, cause you brought up one of them, but I'll give you a separate example uh, as well. But before I do that, you know, speaking publicly, public speaking was very natural to me or speaking to other people, right? Maybe not large thousands persons crowds that I've grown to now, but um, conversation always came very natural. I, I was very lucky uh, for that. And over time, outlets started to exist where I could take the knowledge that I had and apply that in a conversation to then share in more ways as well. I think many would also say I'm, I'm a very much an educator as well. It's something I love to do. You and I have had those one-on-one conversations. I love to share the knowledge that I gain. And I think when it comes to public speaking, that's maybe what has helped me in particular is that a lot of things I'm speaking about, I'm very excited, I'm very passionate, and I also want to share knowledge that I have gained with others. So that education, that teacher uh, component, if you will, whether I'm right or wrong, (laughs) it's it's always up for discussion, but I do love sharing that. Like 
Um, you know, I, I've given talks about entrepreneurship or about building, you know, a pitch deck or how to raise capital or build startup ecosystems or about blockchain and what's happening in the industry of Web three, et cetera. Those are all topics I'm, that are near and dear to me. I love them. You'll rarely see me give a full public speaking talk on a subject that, you know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm not excited, or I haven't learned myself. So, into your question. One tip is, you know, talk about what you love, talk about what gets you excited, talk about what you're passionate about. And in my opinion, do it in an educational way that you're sharing that information with others um, because you've spent the time to become either an expert or a thought leader or something in that. Why hold it in? That was that's always been my thesis is like, why hold in all this exciting knowledge that you can share with others that can help them do something? as well, right? Whether that is a technology, whether that's an industry, whether that's venture capital, whether that's anything in between, it's good to share that knowledge in some way. Um, so we'll come back to another tip in a minute. Um, but your first question, um, I think one of the talks that I was incredibly nervous about uh, that I did overcome, aside from TED, which we'll get to, was a, a talk that I actually had to do in Guadalajara in Mexico. It was uh, cool opportunity, really exciting, really neat to to travel internationally to give. I think that was my first international public public speaking um, gig as well, and I was brought there as a to speak to I think the entrepreneur of the world or the youth of the world for entrepreneurship. I'll, I'll find the exact title and, and share it with you. But um, I had to give this entire talk about being a founder, being an entrepreneur, my journey as an entrepreneur, and I. Uh, I had no idea how big the stage would be. I was in another country at a time uh, and had to prepare a short visual of all this information and all this stuff that you called out about my LinkedIn and share what I thought that journey looked like and how I did it as well. Uh, and so I, I practiced so much on this thing. Uh, at the same time, I had two other events that I was hosting. So I was incredibly stressed of like, we're having this event going on. I have to be here. I have to go do this. But really the nervousness for me on the public speaking side was how do you tell your own journey? How, when you don't want to boost about yourself, um, how do you tell that type of a story uh, that shows your lessons learned as a way, again, educating others, but doesn't come across in this ego or chip on the shoulder of I've done everything right when you haven't. Right? You've learned lessons throughout your journey as well. And then how do you do that in, in such a way that the audience can relate, but also an audience that you don't necessarily know who's in it? And uh, there also may be a language barrier. And so I was incredibly, I mean, incredibly nervous for this talk. And I ended up doing really well. I ended up being very successful. And it put me in a position to understand a few things about public speaking that I hadn't before. So. Uh, one, again, how to tell a story and how to tell a story to an audience general, right? So be very cautious of using terms like we've talked about that people may not understand because they're not in the same industry. So saying like POX for those in the Stacks community versus proof of transfer, very different um, in terms of expression to a general audience and maybe what they digest, but also finding, so what to tell, how to tell that story. And then also um, speed. This is probably one of the biggest lessons learned in public speaking is the speed at which you speak. 
So typically when we get very nervous and anxious, we talk very fast and very, 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 very quick, stutter over our words, don't pause, and all of a sudden everything meds together. And having that experience in a foreign country in a language that I did not speak naturally uh, was this ability of like, okay, you have to slow down, you have to take pauses, you have to find breaks, you have to have you know, this entire rise and fall in your voice to emphasize certain points and de-emphasize others. And it was stuff that I had always thought about or I had taught others, but I had not done it at that scale. I mean, we're talking thousands of people in this audience. And that put me in a position to really hone in on how I gave um, public speaking uh, talks. So talk about something you're passionate about, excited. Talk about it in a way that you want to share and educate others. Um, Slow down and find a good cadence that works for you. And also find breaks and pauses, rises and falls to show emphasis between what you're speaking about. And then the second most nerve wracking was the TED and the TEDx talk that I gave. Um, that was actually, furthermore, that was probably the one I had the most nervousness um, ever. And I'll share. I don't think I've ever shared this publicly. So exclusive on your podcast. So for, for that, uh, we had to write a script. I don't, I don't, that's not how I like to give talks. <laughs> I like to have an outline or I know what I want to say and I want to go that one. I had a word for word script and, uh, that was very challenging for me. Again, telling a story, uh, those talks are usually very intimate. And so I had to tell a story, something intimate to me and also again, very educational. And so I had to be very cautious of the wording that I used, but then again, making it relatable to the audience and not have a chip on my shoulder uh, that I was right and, and, and not wrong. And with that, I had to practice regularly. So I had a coach, I was being just like we, we have worked with startups in the program. I mean, I went through that on a daily, weekly basis. And then leading up to the event, you know, it's a big red dot is what they call it. There's a big red dot, the TED dot that you're standing on. And that is the area of which you cannot move out of. And so you get there uh, the night before you see the stage, you're doing a warm up, kind of similar to this. We're just talking, just jamming. And then you go to sleep and you're like, okay, it's coming. This is going to happen. You wake up the next day, you're all excited. You're like, all right, here we go. And then you get inside and you see the stage. It's all dark, except a spotlight on the big red dot. And you have no idea how many people are going to be in the audience because it's all blacked out. And as it's leading up, you're in an order. So you're hearing everybody else's as they're going and you're like, wow, it's so inspirational. Like, wow, that's so amazing. How am I going to match that? Uh, and during this process, I'm actually outside doing loops in the courtyard, practicing my entire speech the whole time, the whole time, practicing it nonstop until the point where uh, the person before me ends and I go up on stage, I stand on the big red dot, the nerves shake off. I go and the video is online. You can see it and hear it through to through. And I walk off and I was immensely proud of myself of what I was able to accomplish. And fantastic. And yeah, if you guys are hearing this, I will drop it in the, in the description below. You can watch it. There's some super actionable stuff in there too. So this is, this is excellent. Uh, it's going to help a lot of people, I think. So, okay. So we got your public speaking side. Very, very interesting. 
but you're multifaceted, obviously. And so you're, and you, and you label yourself as more of an, of an investor when you ask them, what did you do? Or what do you do? And I'm not sure people fully realize what VCs do. I know I didn't until I've gotten closer to it. And so, you know, I was talking to Jonathan. I was like, yeah, I just thought you guys just like people come to you, they ask for checks and then you pluck out ones that are good. Like, yeah, cool. And then you wait a bunch of time and you get your, you get your money. It's much more complicated than that. So from your perspective, what, what does a VC do? It's a uh, fabulous question. Uh, there's, there's many layers to that. So maybe we'll, we'll classify the parts of VC or the, the roles within venture capital. First off, anybody can be an investor. There's different types of ways to invest, right? Public, private markets, for instance, you can invest in funds, you can invest in crowdfunding campaigns. There's all kinds of ways to be an investor. Uh, to invest in venture capital, uh, there's also many ways. You can be an angel investor, where as an angel, you are looking and researching for companies, you are meeting founders, you are going to demo days, you are looking at maybe areas of interest and may or may not have a thesis to where you want to invest. So you may just invest any company you like. Other angel investors have a very specific check size that they uh, invest. So maybe we'll say 25,000 just for today's conversation in any early stage company or maybe every late stage company. That's just where they would like to invest. Um, so from an angel investor perspective, that's what an angel investor does. In the world of venture capital, uh, a venture capital firm has many different roles. So you can go from uh, the general partner or general partners who generally are the ones who are um, founding the uh, venture capital firm, or they're being brought in at a later date and contributing capital to the venture fund itself. You have managing partners, um, you have partners, and you have venture partners. And usually up through that chain are a lot of those are the ones that are deploying uh, the capital and are actually are in investing as well. And sometimes uh, maybe in a, a level of principal or associate, depending on how the fund is structured. And then you have analysts who are doing research and also meeting a lot of the companies and having those initial conversations before they go back up the chain uh, to all of those parties we just mentioned and a few others to actually decide if it's an investment that they want to have, or excuse me, a company that they want to have more conversations with. So second, third, fourth, sixth, 10th type meetings, the diligence review, and then going into an investment committee with the partners at B that then decide if it will be an investment uh, they make. So that's kind of how, in a quick, very quick summary, venture funds uh, are structured and then VCs are within that. So as an investor, you may play a different role throughout. So for me, I look at kind of all sides of the spectrum. I may do an angel investment uh, in a company. I may participate in a syndicate uh, as well. So um, that is a small, uh, actually it's a, it's a collaboration of many investors who pool their money together and invest collectively in one company. Um, but then also, you know, here in, in the Stacks community, um, work with Trevor on the Stacks VC side or the Stacks venture side. And together as partners, we look at different companies, um, whether they apply for a cohort or they apply for investment, uh, we're meeting them in person, we're you know, researching the industry and see a great company that we think would be awesome to talk to about Stacks. They're reaching out about integrating with Stacks or building on uh, Bitcoin, for instance. 
as well. And through that engagement, um, you know, we see if, if that's an investment that we want to decide to to make as well. So, in short, again, that's a very short version. Um, but what does a VC do? Well, a VC not only invests, a VC you know is constantly meeting with founders, constantly looking at an industry, trying to understand how industries are moving and shifting, where areas of technology or industry they'd like to invest, thinking about the thesis on how they invest, the stages they invest, the capital they can invest talking with limited partners who may invest in their fund um, and how they have to um, represent and deploy that capital as well. So a VC is all over the place. <laughs> in short, doing all those types of things, attending demo days, uh, you know, going to events, giving talks, but also meeting with people, as Jonathan mentioned in, in his podcast with you, is we're everywhere. Do the fundamentals change at all when you're moving from being a web two firm to a web three firm? Are, are the are the market dynamics radically different besides just like I have my thesis and I invest in that? It's a very good question. Um, so they do because with with web three, we've introduced many new elements for investors. So different types of the ability to invest. Traditionally, in the past uh, eras of the internet or industry, um, the investment process was uh, very streamlined with some outliers, of course. But you know, you found a company, company and investor met, diligence was done, uh, diligence passed, everybody was happy. That usually took weeks, not days or hours as we saw in the past uh, year or two, but that, that took a long period uh, in most cases. And from that, you know, decision was made, a term sheet was signed, or uh, a convertible safe note, for instance, was uh, executed and money was wired, and then the engagement began. With Web3, we now have multiple ways to invest. So it may not be equity only. It may also be for digital assets of some sort. So whether that be um, tokens, maybe that's for NFTs, non-fungible tokens, that may be for um, being a validator, for instance, in the protocol itself. There's many different ways now, or uh, a liquidity pool provider or a market maker. Um, there's all these different ways that now investors can actually invest and contribute in Web3 that was not typically there in previous uh, eras of the internet. Okay. And for people, because I know I do learn this as I go, a safe is a simple agreement for future equity. So it's basically it's a simple contract that says, uh, I'm agreeing to these terms, and in the future, I can buy back. I get buying the next equity. round equity. You in get the next equity. Round. Yeah. So, so in the future, it converts into equity, and we have the same thing for tokens called a SAFT. S A F T. T for tokens. Very simple, standard document. Uh, this was created by Y Combinator. Um, I forgot the exact year, but Y Combinator helped streamline that process along with 500 startups and many others. Um, which all began using as a standard. Um, and then the token side came uh, a little bit later, we'll say 2018, 2019, I could be wrong on that date, but somewhere in there, when we started seeing the ability to invest directly in tokens or invest for future token allotments as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it seems Do your like own now, research. 100%. Do your own research. Yeah. I think <laughs> nothing we say here is investment advice. Um but yeah, it seems like now investors have one more kind of like arrow in the quiver where equity was the main mechanism back then. Now you can do equity and token. Is there 
is there a conception of because you can add the token on, is it more risk, more reward, or how are tokens viewed in the landscape? Yeah, I think you you, you called it out um, perfectly. So traditionally, when you invested in equity, right, as an investor, you may not have seen a return or a liquidity event uh, on that uh, investment unless it was acquired. So it went through M&A, mergers and acquisitions, or maybe it went public through whatever exchange it may have been on around the world, uh, or secondary sales or, or, or other events as well. With tokens, that actually opened up this whole new world where you could see liquidity at different times and maybe sooner than that of an equity investment uh, as well. So um, that did change the dynamics when an investor was considering how they may invest of, you know, if this company offers both equity and tokens, can we invest in both or maybe one or the other? Uh, a lot of that also goes to the initial structure as I get a little technical here. Some of that goes to the structure and how the fund that is investing may previously have set up, but we'll consider this as an angel investor. So yes, as an angel investor, you may look at investing instead of equities only now, you may start to look and provide a different risk profile for your portfolio by investing in some digital assets. And that those digital assets may have a lockup period and which once those are unlocked, you can maybe liquidate some, but you can also be an active participant and do things like staking or how we have it here in, in the Stacks community, stacking. Uh, you could run a node, you could be a, a validator within the network and earn additional rewards while helping the technology uh, progress as well. So a lot of different things. I know I'm going a little technical on that, but a lot of different pieces to that. No, that's good. We're, we're giving them new information. And we're expanding their brain. This is this is all this is all good. Um, okay, so I'm gonna bounce around a little bit. I think we're we're starting to come up on time. This half hour is flying by, but um, I'm curious because you've you you have an investor background. You were an analyst for a while, so you were watching the landscape, and now you pretty much exclusively, although you can tell me, build in stacks and invest in Bitcoin focused startups. What drew you to Stacks ultimately? What, what, what was the thing that set you over? You're like, this is the place that I feel like it's going to be the place to be. Yeah. So my investor journey in blockchain and then later Web3 actually um, has been all over the map, not any specific area of ecosystems or uh, layers within the industry that I've been investing in. And that's been very educational as well. I've met some really great founders, some great teams, and, and been able to understand a little bit more about the landscape. And as an analyst, that helped. So starting as an analyst, it helped me build a thesis to how this industry was shaped or how it was categorized. So looking at things from an infrastructure level to an enterprise level to a consumer level, and then breaking that into subcategories, things like scaling solutions or authentication to you know what is public versus private blockchains to then looking at uh, the area of retail or mobility or uh, looking at gaming and uh, social media, et cetera, like really starting to understand how it was crafted so I could build a thesis to where I wanted to invest. And during that process, I started understanding and looking at decentralized applications or dApps and how this could be this next wave of applications that we would see in the future of our, our digital economy and digital lives. And so I discovered two very specific documents. One in my research was uh, the general theory of decentralized applications 
uh, that was written in 2013 by David Johnson and about 11 other individuals, investors, and uh, technical engineers at the time to help give us a basic framework of what a DAP could be. So what a fully decentralized application would encompass. And that helped me realize that at the time in 2019 and, and, and 2018, we didn't see many of those, but there was actually a way to maybe build parts of your application into these decentralized pieces. So to convert, say, a traditional Web2 app into the world of Web3 and beyond. So you could use things like decentralized storage or decentralized compute, stuff we've had uh, you know, for years, but now in, in upgraded versions. But then you could start to use things like wallets as authentication or to simply um, store assets as well. Like you've got this whole map that now doesn't have to go one-to-one or one end to one end. You can still, and then instead pick pieces from it. So that general theory, along with the initial white paper for block stacks, now stacks, that Manib and Ryan and, and team all wrote forever ago, that that actually helped craft my thesis that DAPs would be where I wanted to invest in. That would be this future application layer for the digital lives that we are now living uh, today. And ripping that white paper apart, I still have it somewhere. It's crumpled up. It's got notes everywhere, highlighted left and right. It's not that big either. So that tells you a lot. But um, that helped really craft that for me. And that led into working with many different ecosystems, seeing and what they're doing, what they weren't doing, how things were evolving. And I was lucky enough that Trevor Owens, managing partner for Stacks Ventures, gave me a call one day and said, hey, this is what we're doing. Your thesis aligns with where we're going as an ecosystem. Would you want to join and, and help? Here we are. Boom. That's, I love that story. That's, that's fantastic. I remember hearing Rudeeb talk about how one of the reasons he got disillusioned by academia is it was all theory, no practice. And I could see how this, this two-piece, the general theory of decentralized apps uh, is like the landscape, and that's like the puzzle, but there's a piece missing. And then Blockstack was a piece that kind of clicked in. And once you put them together, it's like, okay, cool. Now it's coming into the real world. Let me see how I can help bring this to life. That's right. that's fascinating. And, and the cool thing about that is now as, as Stack's you know, mainnet came online in, in January 21, and now we're looking at the hyperchains upgrade and, and more to come, it's really started to evolve into this, this Bitcoin layer and something that can build new types of applications, or we can see more of those future dApps built in this ecosystem and, and taking advantage of all the technology within that Bitcoin layer as well. So I don't know, it's been an exciting ride. I've, I've had a, a blast within the ecosystem. Everyone has been amazing uh, through and through. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Doing this podcast has been one of the best decisions I've made in a long time. Uh, so much going on. Um, so I'm curious, there's a, there's a ton of things, there's a ton of entities around Stacks. And yeah. at least in the in the VC side or the venture side, you have, there's the pre-accelerator now, there's Stacks Ventures for the more medium-term seed. And then there's this other entity that was announced where it was, it was like Bitcoin Odyssey and Trust Machines funding were like in the same month. And I was like, oh my God, we're going to be, everyone's going to win. We're all going to make it. And it seems like it's, been mostly quiet on announcements since the announcement of the Pledge Collective. 
Mm-hmm. So you don't have to drop too much alpha, but I'll, I'll, I'll word it like this and see where it goes. Are you guys okay. just really selective about how you vet or have you made investments and they're just, they're going to come out when they come out? Yeah. So maybe let's take a step back and explain what Bitcoin Odyssey is. Sure. So myself and one other co-chairs of this pledge, and, and that's Alex over at OKCoin, together with OKCoin, Stacks Ventures, and the Stacks Foundation, along with about 20, 21 tier one VCs, we all came together and looked at not just what Stacks had done, but again, the entire Bitcoin layer and how important it was to bring more capital into this ecosystem and that we all aligned on our thesis of investing in the entrepreneurs and founders and their teams building in this area as well. And so in March, 2022, we announced a $165 million pledge collective of all of us together looking to make investments over the next year uh, in companies building on Bitcoin. And so since that, and, and to your point, Trust Machines also announced end of February, beginning of March, $150 million fundraise. So within a few days, I believe it was, or even a week, we announced almost $300 million in capital that would go to, uh, in different ways, would go to the uh, ecosystem of Bitcoin, which was incredibly exciting uh, for its moment and, and since then has continued to grow. So as Bitcoin Odyssey has continued to evolve, you know, we've met many companies as those have applied and we've brought them in and we all get the chance to meet them. They pitch to the collective itself and it's been an outstanding experience. And now we're actually taking in more applications and are encouraging more at any stage. So from pre-seed or very early stage, all the way through late stage companies to apply, to be able to pitch us for that pledge amount and for future funding. And so uh, we have been meeting on a, on a regular basis and talking about you know where we're deploying or where we're not and what we're looking at. And uh, it's been a ton of fun. And so that's my little alpha is that if you are building in this ecosystem, either reach out to me, uh, to Alex, who's the head of listing at OKCoin, uh, talk to us directly, and we would love uh, to bring you in. Or you can check out uh, the Bitcoin Odyssey website, which Jake, I'll give you the link to drop and apply because we're looking for companies to invest in all the time. And um, yeah, we have no uh, particular thesis of how many we can and, and can't do. It's it's completely open. Perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. One last question. I like to end on a high note, kind of make it aspirational. Usually I'm talking to a founder. So I'm saying, hey, in, in two, three years, which is 75 at crypto time, Everything goes perfectly. Stacks is number three. Where is blank at, right? But you're not a, you're somewhere in the middle. So where where ideally do you see Kyle in three to five years? What are you what are you doing? Oh, that's a great question. Oh, man, mad props back to you for all these quality questions. Thank you. Um, kicking it off well with a CompUSA poll. Um so <laughs> In, in three to five years, I hope I'm lucky enough to you know still be a part of this community, still be a part of this ecosystem, either as an investor or maybe even an operator or, or founder in some capacity uh, as well. And so um, other than that, I mean, we'll see what happens in three to five years. This industry changes so crazy uh, and so quick that uh, it's hard to answer. But um, one thing I know for sure is I hope I'm still lucky enough to be investing in this ecosystem, connected to the community in, in some way, shape or form and, and giving back more than it's given me to date. 
Perfect. Well, uh, yeah, I love that. Any, uh, that's all, all the questions I have. This has been fantastic, Kyle. Thank you for taking the time. Any, any closing thoughts that you want to end on? No, I think, uh, I think it's been great, man. I mean, if anyone's interested in, uh, Jake's podcast, make sure you check out not only this episode, but all episodes of Jake's podcast. And furthermore, look, if you're building on the Bitcoin layer, whether that be stacks, Bitcoin proper, lightning, others within the ecosystem are looking to bridge over, would love to talk to you. As investors at Stacks Ventures, we're looking at investing throughout the entire stack. And whether that's, you know, at the protocol level all the way through to applications, you know, web two coming into this new world of web three would welcome a conversation and, and love to chat. And if you just want to learn more and you haven't learned enough from Jake's podcast, you can reach out to us as well and we'll we'll chat with you more. And if you want to learn more about Bitcoin Odyssey, Again, DMs are open. Reach out. We'd love to share more. Um, also looking for some great investors to join in if, if you're interested in learning more on investing in this ecosystem and uh, want to join a good group. Perfect. I'll, uh, all, the, all the necessary links, info, make it easy for you guys. If you want to get connected to Kyle, maybe to Alex at OKCoin, or I work at Stacks Ventures too, so reach out to me. I can send it up the chain. But yeah, I mean, we're all trying to unleash Bitcoin through Stacks. So let's, let's make it happen. Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time, my man. Thank you as well, Jake, man. This is amazing. I've seen you since day zero before this thing kicked off and to see where it is today, phenomenal. So congratulations all to you and a big thanks to you for all you do in this ecosystem as well. Welcome to Built on Bitcoin. I know the things don't always